good to take a moment, isn't it, to remember who God is, who we are. It's good to take a moment to uh, encourage each other. Look around the auditorium and uh, smile at somebody, wave at somebody. We're the body of Christ, and uh, it's a tremendous thing to be here uh, together with each other. So um, if you look around, you're going to notice, hey, we do have some people that are missing, you know, this morning. It's the summertime. People travel. And we've got two mission teams that are out uh, right now. We actually got a couple of communities that are out in town and the Northwest community are out having community kinds of services. And, uh, and um, they're, they're just... There are just so many people we wish we could just see and hug and encourage, but uh, greetings to our live stream brothers and sisters that are joining us, and hopefully by the time we leave this morning, we will have taken a moment to remember all the good things we have in Christ. We're in the middle of a series called in, uh, in Atlanta as it is in heaven. It's a series on the sermon, you know, on the mount. And... Um, I'm going to continue on with the text that I've been given, you know, today. But first of all, I want to share a couple of things from our family to yours. We weren't here with you last Sunday. We were uh, out of town, and our daughter was getting married, and it was an amazing experience for all of us. Uh, Ashley sends greetings. Um, she has so many wonderful relationships in our church. She's had a long and winding journey. She's had to uh, live and take care of her two children as a single mom for, uh, for many years, and God has just done miraculous things in her life and led her to a terrific man to love her and her children, and the best is yet to come. And so we, uh, we're so excited and so grateful for the village that has, has wrapped their arms around us and our family. And many of you are not here this morning. You're out of town. You're in other places. You know who you are and the impact that you've had on our family with your prayers and with your support. That's the village. That's the community. That's the family of God. And what a summer. We actually have two weddings going on this summer. On August 10th, our son Ryan marries his Italian princess, Erica Fortina. And this is Erica and Kelly. They had a wonderful bridal shower yesterday. The uh, Susan Atkins uh, helped plan it, and Ashley Reese helped plan and host it. So many people, so much food, as you can tell. And Erica is such a remarkable young, young woman with so many relationships, literally around the world, zooming into this bridal shower. There were people from Spain, from London, from Italy, from New York, and from Michigan, as well as, you know, our Atlanta brothers and sisters. So, so uh, thank you for all that you've done. And again, it's the village, the family of God that makes all this possible along with God's grace. And just a few days earlier, we, we were all, uh, all able who could be here or see it on live stream, see Savannah Nelson McKenzie baptized into Christ here. It was a wonderful time 
And again, the village is growing and it's working and the swamp and all of our relationships. Here's the McKenzie, you know, clan here. They're so happy. They're so joyful. Katie is also a single mom and has been heroic in her faith, raising two great daughters, the McKenzie family, the Nelson family here, part of that family and part of that village. It's just an amazing thing to be part of God's family and God's kingdom. There are certain times in your life, it's true, that you feel it more than others, that you're emotionally connected to it more than others. But we do not stand by ourselves. We stand because of so many people that have prayed for us, invested in us, loved us. And I can't imagine trying to live a life with a family and in a marriage and with children and with grandchildren without having God's community family, village, a part of that. And if you can't say amen to that, you don't need to do it verbally. Why, you got to spend a little time reflecting and taking a moment to remember. All right. Happy birthday, Kevin. (laughs) Dr. Kevin Broyles. We're going to hear from Dr. Kevin and Noel, our hope, uh, our local hope chapter leaders. But Kevin, it's your birthday today, 65 years young. Okay, we're not going to sing, but can you just say happy birthday? Wow, he's looking very young and very energetic. You know, okay, that's about the extent of the humor this morning. Because I want to tell you about my assignment that I was, that I was given two months ago. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, the way, the road, the gate, the path is narrow. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew, chapter 7. Last week, hopefully you were here or you live streamed it. It's just like so important if you're not here to go back and, and look through the service. You may maybe fast forward a few moments of it, but to be able to continue along the theme of the things that we're teaching, they build on each other. And it, it, was, a, it was a tremendous uh, theme, a tremendous sermon, but a tremendous thing to think about. As Jordan talked about, what ends up being one of my very favorite passages, ask, seek, knock, you're going to find, it's going to be answered, the door's going to be opened. It's amazing because we have a Father in heaven, not a despot, not a force, not some kind of like ethereal being, a Father. God is our, that is, that's revolutionary. And then Jordan went on to say, like in the Old Testament, there's some nods to God being a father. That's not how he's generally uh, portrayed. But in the New Testament, what a shift. Because as was pointed out last week, just in 107 verses in your Sermon on the Mount, right in front of you, in your lap, on your device, Jesus refers to God as Abba or his father 17 times. Are we getting the drift? That is the mindset that any believer needs to constantly have. Yes, God is strong. God is powerful. He has some things to say that are uncompromising that we will note this morning. But ultimately, he is our father in heaven who wants, desires, and loves to lavish us with good things and with good gifts in the Holy Spirit. That, like, uh, there's nothing probably more important than that. And then, the, the verse in between Jordan's text 
in my text is the universally acclaimed golden rule. Nobody debates it. Everybody embraces it. And it's completely non-controversial. When I was a young, young minister, I made a list of my favorite scriptures. Any of you guys ever do that? I made my list. And definitely on the list was what we just looked at uh, earlier about God being our Father, and you ask, and you keep on seeking and knocking, and you're going to find, and your prayers are going to be answered. That was one of my very top, very top favorites. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to probably do the same thing. On, uh, I, I also made a list of my least favorite passages. <laughs> Remember Thomas Jefferson? He actually, with his Bible, he would just cut out the passages he didn't like. He just do, you know, alt delete, you know, it was gone. And uh, they're, actually most people sort of do that anyway, but not as audaciously. And so I made my list of the passages that if, if I could, I would delete. And as it turns out, my text this morning was the number one on the list. If I could pick one passage as a young minister, if I could delete because of its awesome implications, it would be in fact enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. Where does it lead? To destruction. He goes on, but those who enter by it are many or few? Many. For the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, seriously, if you're going to tell me this is one of your favorite passages, we may need a little counseling for you, you know, in the back room, you know, back here, because these implications are tough. You have to wrestle with this as you think about your religious friends, some of your family, as you think about the vast uh, uh, millions of people that hardly have any even knowledge of Jesus or of the Scriptures. We actually have had some of our, our children, and not, not so young children, that have gone to places like India or other places, and to be able to see literally throngs of people everywhere, hundreds of thousands of millions of people who don't know anything about Jesus, and to consider, is it true that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Aren't you grateful for Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where we're not to judge? God is the one who applies and interprets and judges on these matters. But seriously, a thinking person, it, it, it's tough to deal. And, and then there's a responsibility that you feel. If this is true, that while that I really need to think about how can I give and love and serve and reach out and share and try to help other people. It's a prodigious thought, you know, that's here. And uh, it, it's just one of the reasons, again, why um, I, I, would, I would, in my young ministerial life, let's just delete that one if possible, because you would be much less controversial. If you could delete some passages in the Bible, Christianity would not be that controversial. And it's been the source of persecution 
of ridicule. It's the Matthew chapter 5, 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, or righteousness' sake. So, you know, there, there, there's some positive things to this passage as we think about it. But also, there, there's some, some heavy thoughts that go with it. Now, it gets even worse in some ways as you read on in the chapter. I was talking to Jordan uh, earlier this week, and we said, actually, yeah, but the scariest verse in this chapter 7 for guys like me and Jordan is later on, about 10 verses later, where it says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we preach in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you got to say more than Lord, Lord, regardless of Romans 10, 9, there's a context to that, which is the entire New Testament. Now, it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord, our beliefs are certain things, even if you're preaching or doing great things. You, you, you have to be, well, I'll get to the punchline later, okay? So, so we can simplify what this is all about and how to be able to know that I am, in fact, on the narrow road, the narrow gate, difficult, but the, 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 the beautiful path. Um, but, but let's think about this. How do you feel about warnings? Do you like to be warned? Uh, it depends on the context. Because sometimes warnings bother us and bug us and can feel restrictive, you know, to us in our life. And then there's the question, when we consider this verse still in front of us here, does this contradict somehow grace? And God being our Father and God is love. Is there some contradiction here? Again, you want to keep reading the Bible. Keep reading the context. You're going to hear that throughout the next, you know, few minutes. Does this negate 17 times in 107 verses where Jesus says God is our Father and wants to give good gifts to us? How do we wrestle with this and how do we put it together and how do we make this a positive momentum and encouragement in our faith as well as, yeah, there's some guardrails and warnings here to make sure we don't fall off into someplace we really have no intention of going. I was having a good talk yesterday, or maybe the day before with John Haynes. And a lot of times I, I talk to people during the week. I ask John, I ask several of you, what do you understand this passage to mean? It clearly is important. What does that say to you? How do you understand it in the context of the entire, of the entire Bible? And, uh, you know, John was talking. He said, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that sometimes a few of us miss is when Jesus talks about uh, this being the path and the road to life and not the path to destruction, he's not just talking about heaven and hell. This word life is zoe. It's, it's the full life, the eternal life that you start when you become a disciple here on earth, and it continues on into, of course, perfection and into uh, the, 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 the presence of God, of Jesus. And he said, you know, I think it's important to think through that and to understand that. And I, I thought about that. I know that to be true. So often passages have, you know, some nuanced meaning. And uh, I realized, I thought about this. I said, you know what? I think sometimes in my Christian life and in my emphasis and even in my preaching, 
maybe not so much teaching, but definitely preaching, I may have emphasized on this passage more the heaven and hell piece of this, rather than there's a narrow road that leads to true life and keeps you from destructing yourself or self-destruction. And, and I realize, you know, I may have emphasized uh, one too much to the neglect of others. That is a human tendency to do. And this is why it's important to keep reading it, the whole context of the entire Scripture, and have good Christian friends so you can bounce sort of things, you know, off of. I, the Message Bible just goes all the way on this one, okay? It's a paraphrase, but uh, here, here's how the Message Bible translates this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. Of course, this is a paraphrase. The, the market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. And so that kind of paraphrase, that, that view is kind of zeroing on, in mainly on the aspect of it's a narrow way to live a successful life and to live a disciplined, focused life. Kind of like the NBA draft. Any of you guys see that? NBA draft, and they get up there, and the kids are there, and, they, and most of them in those early, uh, early picks, they have really good parents, and they're always talking about the discipline, the plan, it's hard, it's focused, you're not going to be a great athlete unless you put in the time, the work, and be focused, it's not easy, it's a great thing, but you got to embrace it. Or to have a great marriage, you got to put in the work, right? Or to be a successful person, or to do well in school, you got to put in the work to be able to do this. And... Uh, um, you know, it, it is very true in our spiritual life, to have a strong spiritual life that um, you got to put in the work. Everybody doesn't get there. It's hard. It's narrow. Now, take a closer look. I put like three different translations, you know, up here. And in your Bible study, it's great to look at multiple translations and see how these Greek phrases are rendered. And here are a couple of them. And it is very interesting in all of them. The idea is only a few find it. Now, there's a very interesting study that I did a couple of decades ago. And I simply took the words many and few and look up the passages. What is the emphasis when the Bible talks about many as opposed to few? It's going to be pretty enlightening for you, and you'll see it even in several passages before we close out today. But only a few find it. I kind of like the way the Amplified Bible puts this. It's difficult to travel is the path that leads to everlasting life, and there are a few who find it. And as the sermon talked about last week, seek, keep on seeking, and you will find what only a few really find. Now, People were getting the drift in Jesus' teaching as he taught this. And somebody came up to him as he was teaching. And he made his way to Jerusalem. And, and they asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? That's an interesting and important question, isn't it? They asked Jesus. He, uh, he will answer in red letters. And one of the things Jordan said years ago that I appreciated, he even wrote down, he said, no matter how great yours or anyone else's words are, they are not read. 
And of course, meaning in many Bibles, the literal words of Jesus are in red. And we'll note that again. But, but Lord, are, I, I sort of get, are you saying that only a few people are going to be saved? I actually asked Chat GPT the same question this week. <laughs> I literally did. You may want to do that yourself. Believe it or not, the answer was a skosh different than Jesus's. But let's read the red letters. Here's what he said. He would have said it to you or me if we'd asked that question. Make every effort to enter how? Through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. Yeah, the narrow road does impact eternity. It is involved if we're saved or not, according to the Bible and Jesus. It's also about Zoe life. To stay on the narrow road is the, is the path to life and to happiness and success and joy in all the things that we do. It's Zoe. And, and as you can tell, there, there were definitely times Jesus would say, consider the lilies of the field. And those are beautiful thoughts. And everything that follows from that in Matthew chapter 6. There are other times, though, that he is straightforward to the degree that we're uncomfortable with that, particularly in the age and the world that we live in. And again, this idea of many and few, it's a good thing to think through. I love this quote by Marcus Aurelius who said, the object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. And sometimes I feel, Jeff has a phrase, this crazy world, that the world is just crazy. It's like insane in some of the ways that it's lifting up and pursuing and acknowledging and worshiping, to use the, the, the term that the Bible would be able to talk about. And uh, I, I want just got to say something at this point. And, and again, what, what's the passage? This is a very strong passage. Nobody comes to the Father Jesus said, except through him. Again, God will perfectly interpret that, right? He will perfectly apply that. But these are the kind of things that got Jesus killed and crucified with these kind of bold statements. And so the, the, the way, the narrow way, in one sense is Jesus. He is the way. Now, I got to say something, at, you know, at this point. In any kind of um, sermon or teaching like this, we have instinctive things that kick in. And um, I, I personally, I like to think, I think there are others that do too, uh, based on Scripture, that there are at least a couple of different kinds of people. There are the accused folks and the deceived folks. Those are the two kind of dual natures of Satan, the enemy, and the Bible talks about this. He's the accuser of our brethren, accusing them before God. You even see it dramatically in the case of Job and other situations. And he's also the deceiver, the one who has deceived, you know, people. You see it not only in Revelation, through the Scriptures. We're not ignorant of his devices and his schemes, the Apostle Paul says, you know, in Corinthians. And so, when, when, when you're, when you're, 
in a topic like this that is tough, tough-minded, got to wrap yourself around this. You got to put in some study. You got to wrestle with it. The accused folks can immediately go to anxious, oh no, I'm lost. Maybe I'm not a Christian. I'm going to hell. This is horrible. I can't think about anything else. And the deceived people, it went, oh yeah, I knew that. Oh yeah, right. Bounces off like water off a duck's back. And the proper thing to do is wrestle with these things with the totality of Scripture, with the context of the entire Bible, and then, of course, ask God for understanding, for the Holy Spirit to lead you to understand, and even more, more importantly, to apply it in the right way in, you know, in our life. There's a, uh, I mean, it's very popular these days to talk more about the positive things of God and Christianity and keep it positive, all that type of thing. And, and, and it is important. But the, what the Bible tries to do is to have believers understand the balance of the nature of God and Scripture. And, and so the Bible asks us to consider something. Really interesting passage. Consider Paul says in the book of Romans, the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness for those, uh, or sternness or severity for those who fell. Kindness to, uh, to you provided you continue in kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Maybe this is on your delete list. Again, you'll very rarely find it on people's most favorite passages. But for a mature disciple, this is like so important to understand the full breadth of God and his plan and his understanding. Ultimately, more than anything else, he's God the Father. Amen. But he's not your old man. He's not just a kindly grandfather up there. The oh, boys will be boys. He really has things that he challenges us with. But here's the beautiful thing on all this. He is very, very patient because love is patient and God is love. But we're asking you to do some work this morning and to really be able to think through some of these things. What's the issue about how do I know if I'm on the narrow way or not, okay? I mean, we, we, what would be a litmus test? The issue, and it always has been the issue, is love. The greatest of these is love. You could speak with the tongues of men and angels. You could have all the knowledge. You could have it all together. But without love, you're a clanging cymbal. You're a gong show. You're a zero. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the issue is and always has been love. A guy comes up to Jesus. He's trying to test him. He says, hey, so uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And you got, he, he, first of all, he's missing it. Eternal life is not just about doing, it's about being, right? But it still involves our actions and what we do and who we are as it flows from our heart. And Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And then he quotes back from Deuteronomy. He said, well... He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. How much of your mind? How much of your strength? All. You ought to say that word under your breath, all. And your neighbor as yourself, he said, do this uh, and you will live. I remember when I was a freshman in college 
in Trussler Hall, second floor, 10 o'clock, every Thursday night, we'd have a soul talk. I wasn't a Christian. And I came for the second time, it was in my room. My roommate had the audacity to become a disciple without me knowing about it the summer before. So we had a soul talk in my room. And I come in, and there are like about 10 guys sitting on the floor, some up in the bunk beds. And the topic was this passage, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then for the first time, I heard people actually talking about it, like my peer group, about what that meant to them or what it didn't mean to them. And I walked out of that soul talk, and I said, whoa, I have never loved anything like that in my whole life. I have never been that committed to anything with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. And that night began the conviction process that led to the conversion process that four months later I was baptized into Christ. This is the ball game here. And I remember, hey, Bob, see Bob Keen back there and some other people in the you know, here, uh, we went to the same church back in the 70s. And we had an elder, his name was, was Rogers Bartley. And he met with all the young Christians shortly after I became a Christian. And he, he was an elder, and he, he would sit in a chair, and we'd be sitting there around, and he would, uh, he, he, he'd say, okay, here's the key to being a, a, a true Christian. And uh, we would read this passage, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And with his inimitable way, he, uh, he would say, now, if you don't love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, you have just one problem. You're going to hell. <laughs> I mean, we were like, had a fire hydrant, just shot. I mean, and he was friendly and, and, and loving and Brother Barley be the first to say he was not a perfect specimen of Christianity. That he had his faults. And you got to understand, loving God with all your heart does not equal not sinning. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind does not mean you don't have a rough season of your life spiritually. But it means this is the intent of my life and my heart, not just to be a decent person and a pretty good Christian and be good enough to keep people off my back. The idea is to love God. That is the most important. What kind of love? Agape love. I love college football. Great. I love that song. I love short sermons. Well, don't we all? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about agape love for God and each other with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this chilling passage in Matthew chapter 24. Again, some, most of us have read this and kind of moved on and never really even paid attention to it. But it talks about the time is going to come when wickedness is going to increase in our world and the love of most people will grow what? Cold. It will, it will cool off. And then I love the Phillips translation there, which I, was the translation before NIV that we read. The love of most men will grow cold. And with various translations, here's what he talks about. We underestimate what is going on in our world. What Jesus said, Matthew 24, the time is going to come toward the end because of the increase of wickedness, most people's love is going to grow cold. Because people breaking the laws and sin being everywhere, your heart 
is going to get cold. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And then, as this last translation, there will be so much evil in the world that the love of most believers will grow cold. That is chilling. And we underestimate, in my judgment, what's going on in our world. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. In the last days, there will be times of stress. People will be unloving, unkind. It, unless you got your head, you know, in the sand, we realize the world is going in, a, in some really very scary directions. And what happens as, as, uh, as the world gets more corrupt or evil or turns from God, believers, our heart can get, can get cold. Don't underestimate it. Don't be, don't be deceived. Don't be like the frog in the water as it's boiling. Is it possible for you and me and for our Christian friends and family and for our church family that our love could grow cold and find ourselves not on the narrow path but on the wide road that leads away from God? because of the multiplying evil and wickedness and turning away from God. And if that is becoming the case for any of us, it's being influenced greatly by the multiplying sin and evil in the world. So what do we do? All right, let's, let's wrap this up with the answer. What's the answer? The red letter answer. In Revelation chapter 2, it's a very interesting thing because in the Bible, um, the book of Ephesus, and, and and the, 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 Jesus is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. You could not do better today than to go home and read Revelation chapter 1. I did it this morning throughout the week. It will center your thoughts on who Jesus really is. He's not a 30-year-old Galilean carpenter. And he speaks to the churches. And in the case of Ephesus, it's about 30 years after the writing of Ephesus in 62 AD. This is sometime in the 90s. In other words, the Christ, they've been Christians for about 30 or 40 years. That's how long the church, you know, has been going. Founded in Acts chapter 18. You can read about it. Timothy was the evangelist there. It's, Paul wrote him those letters in 1st and 2nd Timothy. But here's what it said. What kind of love? First love. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. He gives us some real positive encouragement to them. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, he's going to come and take away their lampstand. It's really in interesting. Some of us have been to Ephesus. It's, it's ruins now. It used to be filled with disciples. Now it's filled with tourists. And I want to say some things as we get ready to close here. I mean, particularly to my empty nester friends. Um, you, you and I need to be circumspect here. And really think about, do I have that first love when I first became a disciple of Jesus? Do, do I need to reclaim it and to recapture it? Yeah, it's got to be age appropriate. 
But don't you remember those early days? I'm talking about devouring the Bible, being together with disciples all the time. Maybe we were timid, but we loved having friends with us at church or in our, our, our small group. Baptisms, they just filled our heart, you know, with joy. We, we were willing to give and sacrifice anything that, you know, that we had. And that first love, that's not something you grow out of. It's something you repent of and try to reclaim and fight for it. That first love, that's the answer to staying on the narrow road. To have a first love for Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our life. And I realize on my Saturday prayers, I'm telling you this, you know, what I prayed for, because I pray for the church, I walk up and down these aisles, I prayed for hundreds of you yesterday. And you know what I prayed for? I prayed, God, help us to fight for it. Help us to fight for our first love. Help us to endure to the end, fight for our families, fight for our faith, fight for that first love for God. Give it everything that we've got. I prayed that for you. Please pray it for me. Let's keep up doing that in each other's lives. You know, the, believe it or not, you can probably tell, I got stuff on my heart. I could actually talk for a while. So feel free to give me a call. We'll have coffee. In the poem, The Road Less Traveled, Robert Frost describes this process of being at a crossroads, making a decision to take the path less traveled in the hope that that will be the one that makes all the difference. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one least traveled, and that has made all the difference. Those words were not written in red. But I'm pretty sure Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit would say amen. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. 